This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. I'm going to try something new today. I'm going to actually sit in a chair. I'm not sure I can speak from sitting in a chair. Have you guys noticed I never sit? It's hard for me to sit and talk. Let's try it. I'm going to try it. Good morning, sponsors. How is everybody? Awesome. All right. So we've got a full morning, and we've got almost back to being a full room. Can you believe that um, just about a year ago we had almost 200 people in this room? And now we're getting back there, right? So that's good. I say a year ago. Yeah, about, well, a little less, a little more than a year ago. Um, and we also have some folks at home. Hi, everybody at home that's watching from elsewhere. We've got about 50 different people on the Zoom link watching today. And so that's awesome. Um, as you guys are coming in, if you have a seat next to the end there's several seats on that side. We've got one up front. We got several. So uh, if you're together with someone else, there's a couple over there together. That's awesome. Yay! All right. So um, first of all, let's just do a quick round of applause, appreciation for our sponsor. They're back there, kind of wandering around. We're talking about you guys, Kelly. We're talking about you, Marilyn. Everybody, just clap. Everybody, wave. Hi. All right. Good deal. Okay. So, uh, those of you, is there anybody new in the room that has not been here before today? All right, Ms. Pendleton, hi. Hi, guys. I'm Nikki Buckaloo, and I'm going to be presenting uh, the content today. And I just want to appreciate you for being here. This is a new topic. Now, it doesn't sound like a new topic because we've talked about downsizing before, right? But this time we're going to talk about it from a little different perspective. We're going to talk about the psychology behind downsizing, the psychology behind downsizing. In fact, um, if I get the clicker to work right here, let's see. We've got three parts. So normally when we do a downsizing talk, we try to scrunch all of the content about downsizing into one 90-minute segment. And when I started looking at the agenda for this year, I thought, you know what? It's such a big topic. We're going to break it down this time. We're going to do it in three different seminars. So we're going to talk about it in terms of three different subjects. So the first subject is this one, which is the Yes, 
right? So we're going to try to cover the gamut. For those of you who are just in the thinking phase of maybe downsizing in the future at some point versus people who are planning for it, you're actively doing some things to get ready for it, and then it, the people who are in action mode are actually doing it right now. So it'll sound a little different to all of you who want to touch on everybody's situation. Then the third one, which will be the month after next, so which is what, June? Yeah will be uh, on liquidation options. And I have our online estate liquidator who's going to come and guest present with me. And we're going to show you live uh, on screen what a option, an online estate option looks like. Because I've had, we've talked about it, we've talked about it, and so many of you have said, you know, that I just can't wrap my head around how that works. But we're going to show you how it works step by step so that you can then uh, make a decision for yourself whether or not that makes sense. Okay, does that sound good? Okay, so uh, let's just first kind of dive into, uh, well, let me say this. You've got some things on your table. Uh, one is a handout. It's got a lot of lines on the front, and then there's some things on the back. That's going to be your homework. So everything I'm going to talk about today uh, is going to lead us up to that piece of paper. And then I'm going to send you off with some action items. Okay, so think of it as a college class, and at the end of the class, you're going to be sent off with some homework to bring back for next month, assuming that you're coming back for the next segment, okay? You also have an evaluation form there, and on that evaluation form, if at the end of today's talk, you have more questions than answers, there's a place there, I think it's like the second question on there, about unanswered questions, and I want you to write those in there because then we can cover them next month, right? Um, if they're urgent questions you need to answer immediately, then we'll call you and we'll answer them. But if they can wait until next month, we'll include them in next month's uh, conversation. So um, we're going to dive in and talk about the psychology of letting go. Is there anybody in the room besides me who has a challenge letting go of some of the things in their life? Yeah, right, okay. And now I, I raised my hand and I saw some of you elbow the person next to you. Right? <laughs> right. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. So, what our material possessions mean to us? What do they mean? What do they represent in our lives? Um, why are some of them so hard to give up? And why do some people have more trouble than others with letting things go? Right? Do you know anybody in your world that is able to go through and clean out their house and throw things away and get rid of stuff with no problem? Right? Yeah. Sure. And then there are other people that go, oh gosh, I, I, can't, I can't get rid of that. I'm going to hang on to that. I'm going to hang on to that. And there are people who do that. So we're going to talk about some of why that is. And I, I'm going to just guess, too, by the end of today, I don't have, I mean, you know, I don't have all the answers, right? This is a, this is a huge question mark. In fact, um, I went back, as I started researching this topic several months back, I went back through all my books from college, I went through all my gerontology books, all my psychology books, my theories on aging, my theories on decision making, my theories on you name it, and my tub of journal articles and academic research that I had printed off from when I did my dissertation because part of it was included in this topic, was included in that. And there are no answers. So let's, let's start with that. In any of that material, there are lots of questions and there's lots of theories, right? And at the end of the day, what all the uh, books will say is they'll give you they'll give you solutions for how to get rid of stuff, but they never really address the 
why you needed that solution to begin with issue. Does that make sense? Right? They just go, well, we don't really know why you have this problem letting go or why you want to let it go, and we don't really care, but we just want you to do these things. And for some of us, I, I'm very much a practical application person, right? I want to know kind of what's going on behind the scenes and why I should let that go to begin with. Or why do I not want to let it go? I'm curious. Is anybody else besides me curious about those things? <coughs> yeah? Or how many of you just want the solution and we'll just skip to the end? <laughs> okay. So um, this is not new. Uh, this is not a new problem, personal possessions and accumulation. Anybody read the Bible? Yeah. So those of you who are uh, biblical scholars or Sunday school attendees know that there's plenty of scripture out there that deals with personal possessions, right? Um, not just accumulation of wealth. I'm not talking about that. That's certainly part of, part of it. But it's also, it has to do with uh, people being attached to worldly things, right? That's what you typically will hear in the Bible, worldly things. And so I, I only listed those three scriptures because they're kind of the ones that um, stood out to me most. There's lots and lots of other ones. And if you wanted to go back and just read those for context, I'm not here to preach, I'm not here to teach the Bible, but I'm here to say that this is not a new problem that people have. Right? The disciples and, and Jesus talked on this topic for, you know, eons ago. So, uh, we're not going to solve the problem today, but we are going to try to flesh it out a little bit for our time in our lives and what's going on with us. So, um, it also, as we talk about this topic, you can look around the room. We have a very diverse room, right? We have people from all different generations and age groups and life circumstances. So, if you look at what they're calling now the generation, so the, they're calling these are the seven currently living generations, okay, and they break them down, uh, and those years are, you know, depending on where you look, the years are questionable, but uh, give or take a year or two on either end of each of those, but uh, the the folks in the greatest generation, the, the, the top one there, those are a significant number of folks still living over 100, we call them centenarians, right, okay. So people in that age group are going to have different issues than the people in the baby boomer generation or people in the uh, uh, millennials or Gen X or Gen Z generations, right? My grandkids fall in that last one, that uh, Gen Alpha generation. And it'll be interesting to see what their uh, pattern is as far as personal possessions and accumulation is compared to previous generations. We'll see. But let's take a look at the pattern of accumulation that people kind of go through, and uh, this isn't a this isn't scientific. This is just an observation, so it's anecdotal. So look at the um, look at the list here. So I have nothing. You start out with nothing, right? All of us, and you pretty much have nothing uh, until you get your first gift, or uh, as a kid, or you may have nothing. Oops. Hey, Chris. Okay. <laughs> I told you that was leaning back. I didn't know it was leaning back that far. Um, but the, uh, the thing about accumulation and having nothing is at the end of high school, my parents said to me, well, you still really have nothing because everything you own is ours. <laughs> so that was a surprise, uh, by the way. Uh, although I did have a hope chest that my grandfather had purchased for me for Valentine's gift when I was 16, and I had stockpiled some things in that hope chest, which my dad assured me those were my things. So I could take those, 
he did end up letting me take my bed and uh, a dresser and a few things like that, right? Uh, but for the most part, everything I owned, if, if they wanted to just keep it, it, it was theirs, not mine, right? And then, uh, then we go from having nothing to having the necessities, right? We go, we get what we need. We have dishes, we have some furniture, we have a bed, or we have necessities. Then we have, go from having necessities to having nice things, right? Extras. Um, and for some people, this takes longer than others. Um, depends on the person, how many nice things people get versus not nice things. Nowadays, I mean, my kids are 29 now, and they wanted nice things before they wanted necessities. Anybody else notice that? Right? The necessities were optional. The nice things were mandatory. It's a very interesting thing. Then, uh, then you go from I have nice things to I have everything I could want. Does anybody in the room have everything that they could possibly want? Okay, some people do. Yeah, I have a lot of people that tell me I have everything I could possibly want. Now, you know, people have dreams like, oh, gosh, if I won the lottery, I'd buy this or I'd buy that. But for most of us, we reach a point where we go, you know, I really have everything I could really possibly want. I don't need everything I have. This is where it shifts. You guys see the shift? Huh? True, right, Albert? Yeah. I don't need everything I have. And then we go to, hmm, I need to get rid of some of the things that I have. Some of you are going, uh-huh, now I can relate. And then we go to, I can no longer care for the things I have. To, I must let go of the things I no longer need. And you notice the word must. I put that word there intentionally because it's not a I want to. It's a I am now being required to. And that usually involves a downsize of some sort, right? Um, we do this a lot when we have clients that are moving from independent living communities or their home into an assisted environment, right? Uh, some sort of a healthcare environment, and it's pretty small. And at that point, it's I must do this. It's not I want to do it. It's not I'm looking forward to doing it. It's I'm having to do it. And then uh, the last one, uh, others will deal with all my things. So at this point, you're not dealing with it anymore at all. Somebody else is handling it, either due to your passing or a disability of some sort where it's no longer in your hands to be handled. Yeah? Okay, did I miss anything or does that sound about right? Okay. So that's our, our, our accumulation pattern, if you will. And so let's uh, now let's take a look at um, what does our accumulation mean? And again, this is the psychology of, of our stuff, right, of our letting go of our stuff and accumulating our stuff. And so our material possessions, if you walk into anybody's house that's lived there for a while, then you will notice that uh, it really, that what, it, what it represents is when they're in their early years, like brand new right out of college or brand new married or, you know, somebody who's starting their life anew, it's really their house represents who they're becoming, right? Uh, you see a lot of things that are illustrative of who they want to be in the future. Then our house or our, our residence or our space becomes who we are. And you see representations of that. And then it becomes who we were. Have you ever noticed that? Right? So it's history. Right? You quit accumulating new things from current day and you have things that are historical. Nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of an observation. And then our, our homes and our spaces also indicate our personalities, right? 
They show who we are, they show our hobbies, uh, they show our projected self-image, who do we want people to see us as. Um, we see uh, people's values. And then as time goes on, we really see their circumstances as well. What do I mean by that? So um, I can walk into someone's home and if they have a hospital bed in their downstairs living room, that would be demonstrative of their circumstances, right? Okay, it's not, they didn't put that there for decoration. That's a circumstantial issue. Uh, but I think what's really interesting in this group of with this list is values. Values. You can really go into someone's home, and having been in real estate for 30 years, I've been in a lot of houses, right? And it's just interesting when you walk in, if you're paying attention, you can kind of tell pretty quickly what people value. From pictures to decor to uh, either a lot of accumulation or not a lot of accumulation, to decorative items, um, to whether they have spiritual decor versus non, if they have Bibles, if they have lots of books or they don't have any books, right? So you can just tell, what do people value, if they have pets or if they don't have pets, right? So it's not a judgment of that person at all, it's just a representation of we live in a space that we is part of us. Yeah, it's an extension of us. Can we all agree on that? So what makes it so hard then to get rid of or begin to liquidate or release, and in this case we're calling it let go of, some of the things we have? So this is a list of uh, five reasons, five uh, large categories, if you will, of reasons that people don't let go of things. So let's see if any of these fit for you, okay? So emotion or sentimentality, right? Some stuff is emotional for us. It has sentimental value. I brought this with me today. I was using it to look up those scriptures, um, and I just, I went into my upstairs bedroom and pulled it off the bookshelf and uh, kind of smiled because I thought, you know, this is exactly what I'm talking about today. Uh, it says Connie Gettner on it. Jan, you know who Connie Gettner is, right? That's my mom. And uh, before she was married. And it's tied with a brown shoestring. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, that's how it came to me. And it's pretty rough around the edges, right? It's pretty warm. Uh, it's pretty, pretty dated. The inside of it has uh, writing on it. Um, on the inside, there's some scriptural uh, references uh, in the inside. And it says, at the top, in pencil, in my mom's handwriting, it says, My Lovely Bible. And it was uh, uh, Connie Gettner from the United Methodist Church, Geary, Oklahoma, September 20th, 1959. Okay? So, uh, my mom passed away when I was 11. And so, I didn't get this Bible, actually, until I was, uh, I guess, in my 20s somewhere. My stepdad who uh, she was married to when she passed, had saved a bunch of things for me and later gave this to me. I didn't even know it existed. And so I kind of on to it, obviously. I had uh, I went to school at, UC, uh, at OCU for a while and then at SNU, and so I had lots of Bibles. Uh, they were required. Uh, different, you know, I think I bought some 40 Bibles over the time in college just because they wanted you to have different versions for different things. And then I was a youth director at a church for a while, so I had different Bibles that I taught out of or that were study Bibles or youth Bibles, I mean, you name it. 
Um, this is my only Bible now. Over the years, I have uh, taken those Bibles and donated them to different places for different people or given them away um, because I no longer needed a whole bookshelf of Bibles, right? I, I'm not studying the Bible anymore, per se, in the way that I used to for college purposes. But this one, would I ever give this one away? I, I, I can't imagine, right, really giving it away. It's just not something I give it. Why? It's emotional. It's, there's sentimentality attached to it, right? Okay. I'm really, really glad it's small. <laughs> right? Because how many of you have a family Bible that's big and it weighs like 500 pounds? Yeah, right. I think most of us have at least seen those if we don't have one. So emotional or sentimentality. I have some clients right now that we're helping uh, with the downsides. They're not here today. Um, and I won't, I won't say their names, but she happens to be struggling with letting go of some furniture that has a lot of sentimentality to it. And furniture is a harder, harder creature, right? Because it takes up a lot of space. And when those things have been passed down and you have a lot of sentiment around them, they're hard to let go of. And so we get that. Okay, the second reason is utility. It's practical. It's, it's usable, right? Um, men in the room have a tendency to really struggle with this one. Women somewhat, but men more so than not. And that, um, well, I might need that. Have you used it in the last five years? Nope, but I might. <laughs> right? Chris has a big tub of, a uh, plastic tub of wires and cords, and I can't even, I don't even know what they're called. They're just, it's a lot of, it's a rat's nest of stuff. <laughs> and it, and I wanted to label it rat's nest of stuff, but it's, it's why, I think it's labeled network cords and cables or whatever. And guess what? Every once in a while, I'll say, hey, do we have, and I'll be darned if we didn't go out to that tub and find it, right? Because it's in that tub. Now, he'll clean it out from time to time. And, but the, at the end of the day, sometimes that's a really cool thing to do. Now, if you're moving, though, to a senior living community where you don't have a garage, it's harder to keep that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Even though it's utilitarian and pragmatic, it may not have a home where you're moving. It may not have a place that makes sense. Ours is stored in the garage, right? If we didn't have a garage, it would be stored in a closet. If we didn't have enough closet space, it would go away. And Chris would need to go buy a cord or a wire when he needed one, right? Because I would probably put my stuff in the closet. And <laughs> this would not be quite as important. Ladies in the room can agree. They're all going, yep, I get that. Okay. So the other reason is financial. Uh, financial or investment. There are things that people will not get rid of because they think they have value. And in some cases they might, but in some cases they don't. But there's a perception that they might, or in the future that they might. Now, so there are some exceptions to this. Things like, um, you know, if, you, if you've got gold uh, that you've you know, collected over the years, or coins, or things that, uh, that carry a value that is, uh, that you can literally go and find out what the value is, that's different. But things like, um, old comic books or trading cards or collectible uh, statues or figurines, uh, artwork that is not necessarily uh, high-end artwork but that you bought uh, at some point and somebody told you it should appreciate over the years. Um, so there are, there are a lot of things that we think have a financial value to them and so we have a hard time letting go of them. Um, I had one family tell me that they, their parents had told them 
not to let go of some things because they have a lot of value. And I said, well, define a lot of value because a lot is a very ambiguous term, right? And so a lot of value to one person might be $100. A lot of value to another might be a million or a thousand. Um, and the family did some research and found that it was going to cost them more to transport the items to have them sold than what they were going to get when they were sold. Okay. You can't know until you do some checking, right? I had one gentleman that moved out of an independent living community over in Edmond, and he was moving into a, a healthcare environment, and it was going to be a really, really small space. And he had behind his sofa in his independent living apartment had a uh, Oriental or Asian um, print of some sort, like a big um, uh, screen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, screen. And he told me, he said, I saw a screen like this one on the front of a magazine, of, like an uh, auction house magazine, and he said, selling for over a million dollars. And I went, wow, that's awesome. I said, uh, I'm not touching it. First of all, as move manager, I said that we have a small problem because our movers will not move that because it's not insured. They can't, there's, unless he buys insurance for that thing and, and or the family transports it, it's staying there, okay? So I said, shall we do a little research to see how much it's worth in, in reality? And he said, sure. So I shot a picture of it and took some specs of it and sent it off to an auctioneer that I had met at one of the conferences I go to who does high-end auctions like Sotheby's and Christie's and those places. And uh, he sent me back a message and it said, maybe 500 if we're lucky and if it hasn't been altered. They had had to cut the bottom of it off to fit it in the space he was in currently because the ceilings weren't high enough for it to fit. So they had cut about four or six inches off, something like that, for it to fit. And I said, well, so what if it has been altered slightly? And he said, $50, maybe, if you're lucky, right? This gentleman wasn't going to hear it. He, I put him in touch with that guy. I said, you work it out. And uh, he was not going to hear of it. He was convinced it was going to sell for over a million dollars. So his family loaded it up, took it to their home, and kept it there. Uh, and I don't know what they'll do with it, right? But those are the kinds of things that, you know, once we've made up in our mind something is worth something, it's hard to convince us otherwise, isn't it? All right, it's really hard to convince somebody otherwise. So. Uh, we don't try to. We just we try to find out as much about it as we can. We try to get the facts, and then we let them deal with it. But we couldn't move it. As long as he thought it was worth more than a million dollars, you guys, if I gouged that thing by accident, what would happen? He'd sue me. He'd expect a million dollars for that thing. And I, even though we know at the end of the day I'd probably win, I'd still have to go through the process, right? And it's just not worth it. So keep that in mind. Uh, financial and investment, uh, people don't want to get rid of things that they think have value. Uh, identity and image. This is an interesting one, too. Um, and this isn't a, a bad thing. This is just a human thing. We, we identify with certain things. Um, my mother-in-law collects teapots. She has a very kind of country style um, in her home. It's a, a little bit uh, Victorian, a little bit country. Um, 
it's not our style at all, Chris and I, and it's really not my brother-in-law sister-in-law style. And so she had asked, you know, if anybody would like to have those collections, and we all just kind of go, no. Like, what would we do with those, right? They're lovely in her home. They're beautiful. They make total sense. They make her home feel warm and comfortable and, and a happy place to be. Um, but once she's gone or no longer wants those, none of the rest of us really have a space for them, right? But it's part of her image. It's part of her personality. Um, our house is decorated with uh, island pictures. We, we buy photographs, not even artwork, but photographs from... Uh, when we go to British Virgin Islands, or we bought one from Peter Lick uh, that we liked, and, and that's our style, right? We're very minimalist, very plain, very boring. We do not have a lot of stuff on the walls. And um, that's just our, that's our style. It's our image. It's who we are. And so for us, letting go of those kinds of things, like the Peter Lick top uh, photograph above our uh, fireplace, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to let that go. I would do everything in my power to hold on to that because not only do I like the picture, but it has a, uh, it has a story behind it, right? We were together when we bought it, we picked it out together, it was fairly expensive, and it was hard for us to justify affording at the time, and so therefore it has a financial component included in that, right? Um, but then there are other photographs that we would let go of, or I would, uh, without a lot of problem, right? I bought them online, or you know, they're just not that important. So our image is part of it, our identity is part of it, and then there is the estate or the legacy piece. And which one do you think is the most powerful out of this entire list? If you had to guess. Emotional? Okay, anybody else? Which one of those is the strongest factor causing us to not want to let things go? Usually the estate or legacy piece followed by the emotional piece, okay? Depending on your uh, two things, really, your generation that you're in and your family makeup, okay? People who don't have, uh, who didn't have children or don't have a lot of family members uh, that are still living, then that legacy piece is not quite as important. But for folks who have a lot of children or grandchildren or by the way, if they collected or kept these things for their children, then that legacy piece is really powerful, right? But if they don't, then the emotional piece is usually the strongest. So what do I mean by estate or legacy? Um, interesting story, you would think like some things are kind of obvious, like Bibles or christening gowns or wedding dresses or rings, things like that. But this happened to be a gentleman who was moving out of a house into a smaller house. Both had garages. And when we went to move them, he had uh, kind of identified two or three things in the shed that would be moved to the new house. And they were very much utilitarian. They were needed items that he was going to use. But then the day of the move, he started dragging all of these other implements out. So we had shovels and hoes and rakes and spades and all these different yard tools. And I said, well, what are we going to do with those? I said, are you planning to use those at the new house? And he said, no, I'm going to save these for my grandson <laughs> so that when he starts doing yard work and starts his own job, his own uh, yard business, he can use these. He's little. The grandson's little. So when the grandson grows up, He's going to get all these yard tools. 
but we're going to store them somewhere in the meantime. That's a legacy piece. You got to get that, right? Like, it was really hard. Like, I, I didn't have time that day because we, we were in the middle of the move. The movers were waiting on us to load this stuff. It was a last-minute change. If I had 30 minutes I could give him, I probably could have gotten to leave those there. But we took them because he was committed to that, right? And, and they're his things, so he has the right to do that, yeah? But he's going to pay the movers roughly, give or take, let's say, $50 in total to get them there and get them unloaded and then he's going to store them there and then and then they might still be in good shape when his grandson needs them, right? How much money would it take for him to go replace those at Home Depot or at an estate sale a month from now or a year from now, right? So it's not about the money. You guys get that. It's not about the money. It's about the legacy. I've had people who have kept things in a storage where they're paying 200 or more dollars a month for that item in storage for 20 or more years for a grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew who then says to them when it's time, I don't want it. Right? So this is not about money. This is about the sense of wanting to leave something to somebody, right? It's a sense that people have that they want to leave something to somebody. So it makes it very difficult to let things go. You guys have seen this before, right? The gentleman says, son, one day all of this will be yours. <laughs> Legacy. How many of you have that garage right there? That garage and you're leaving it to your your son or daughter or kids. That's why you're here, most of you, right? Because you don't want to do that. And you're trying to figure out how I can keep from doing that. And others of you, like my father-in-law, where is he? Where's Jim? He says, uh, we can deal with that when he's gone. Now, that said, he has started cleaning things out. Very interesting, Jim. He'll say that he's not going to do it, but he's doing it. And uh, I don't know where Jim is. I give him a hard time. But, uh, you know, it's we would do it, we'd deal with it, and we, it's not a problem, but at the end of the day, uh, we wouldn't know what to do with a lot of the things, right, that he's got, because we don't know what his wishes are. So, uh, okay, so I want to talk about two things that come from this book, How to Say It to Seniors. Uh, I've talked about this in many of our seminars. Uh, it's really a book designed for uh, people's middle-aged children. It's called How to Say It to Seniors. The author is David Soli, S-O-L-I-E. S-O-L-I-E, David Soli. The, the subtitle, or the, sub, yeah, the subtitle of the book is Closing the Communication Gap with Our Elders. Closing the Communication Gap with Our Elders. He wrote this book um, to help middle-agers who had parents who were kind of in the midst of life changes communicate more effectively because there is a gap, right? The way that, uh, that people that are in my generation with parents that are post-retirement, we see things differently, don't we? We have two different agendas in life at that stage, right? So the book is very well written. Um, although it's written for the adult children, uh, it's worth reading for you because it will help you understand their mindset, 
right? It works both ways. It really does. And what he says in the book is very interesting. And I, mind you, when I read this book a few years ago, I've only had, had it, my hands on it for the last five years or so. I had, had, I had a bachelor's degree in gerontology, a master's in psychology, and a doctorate in psychology. And this little $12 or $15 book right here was more insightful than any textbook I had read or any article or any academic paper I'd ever read on the subject. And here's why. He says in there, he says, there are two phase of life tasks that people go through as they begin to reach the end of life. Now, end of life is relative term. That could be someone who has been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness or a progressive uh, chronic uh, problem that's going to eventually turn into uh, a life-threatening illness and or age. Right? So depending on what age you are, you may be looking at what's the rest of my life going to look like? What's this last chapter going to be? And so it's not specifically about age, but it can be. But here's what he says. He says that uh, there are two phase of life tasks. And the first one, as people reach, uh, kind of begin notice some frailty or a loss of their faculties possibly, is they want to maintain control in a world where all control is being lost, right? Don't we all want control of our own life? Yeah, so we all want to stay independent. We all want to make our own decisions. We don't want anybody to have to step in and do that for us. And that's what he's saying. So we all want to maintain control. But what happens as we age or as we have a debilitating or chronic or terminal illness is that people begin to take control of our lives, whether we want them to or not. Sometimes our adult children, sometimes a physician, sometimes a social service agency, uh, sometimes a caring friend or a well-meaning other person. And so they say, you can't drive, you can't eat that, you need to exercise every day, you can't live here anymore, right? There's lots of can'ts, shouldn'ts, and don'ts, right? When people are taking over somebody else's world. And so what happens is people will grasp onto and hold on to anything they can to maintain some sense of control. And guess what one of those things is? Their stuff. And I've heard people say, you will have to rip that out of my cold, dead hand. Right? Have you heard people say things like that? And they mean it. Hopefully it's not again. Yes, agree. But there are just things that people are going to hold on to. And so what happens, and what I've found in some cases, is people will say, I know I need to move, or I know I, I should move because this house no longer suits me, or I can no longer care for or maintain this house, or I need a different environment that would be better for me. But I'm not letting go of, and they begin to list those things that they will not let go of, and if they can't take those with them, they are not moving. Okay? That is one way people stay in control. They look at their adult children and they say, you can't make me. Right? And they can't. Until they can. Which is a whole different day, a whole different topic, a whole different subject matter. But for purposes of this conversation, control is important. So we seek to maintain it. Now, if you have control, and you are a person who says, you know what, you, 
I have a great family, we're in communication, we've had these conversations, they understand my wishes, I've written them down, I have a plan, I know what I'm doing. Um, if something were to happen to me, they have an instruction manual and they're going to be able to deal with these things effectively. Then what Soli says is we can move past that issue of control and it's not an issue. And then we're focused on what we really need to be focused on, which is legacy. Leaving a legacy in a world where time is running short. We all want to leave this earth in a good space, yeah? Right? Some of us want to leave a legacy in terms of a financial legacy to someone. Some people want to leave a legacy of education. Some people want to leave uh, a legacy of uh, personal items or stories or family history or genealogy. There's all kinds of legacies, right? But we all want to leave the world not feeling like we are kicking and screaming when we leave, yeah? Or fearful. And so, according to Soli, if we can deal with this issue of control in an effective way, healthy way, then we can all really focus on what we want to really focus on and should be focusing on, which is our legacy. But while we're holding on to stuff, and we're literally fighting a battle, either with ourselves, with our spouse, with a significant other, or our adult children, if we're fighting the battle of control over stuff, what we're really doing is we're taking up time, energy, effort, and space that we could be using for a more important purpose, which is legacy building. Does that make sense? Okay. So with that said, let's, let's talk about this. Um, with each downsize into a smaller space, these are the things that kind of happen. And I'll be honest with you, uh, it doesn't have to be a different house even or a different uh, location. It can be when people downsize in their own house from living in the whole house to living in the den, the bathroom, the kitchen, and the bedroom, right? Um, you may end up reducing your own house in terms of space. So, uh, you know, we're saying goodbye to a part of our life that we have accumulated and created when we do that, aren't we? Right? We're saying goodbye to a part of it. And it's like letting go of that chapter and embracing the next chapter. And that sounds so easy. And yet, in our line of work, we see it every single day where there's a real struggle. There is a real struggle. And again, when we go back to that list, different people struggle for different reasons. Uh, the other thing is that we're including, uh, I'm sorry, we're reducing the number of decisions which must be made every time we reduce the amount of stuff we have. There is a term, and you may want to write this down, it's not in your materials, that we use regularly, and it's called decision fatigue. Decision fatigue. It's a thing, you guys. You've had it. You've experienced it. And it's harder and worse on us when we're tired, when we're ill, when we are recovering from being tired or ill, when we're grieving, when we're in crisis, when we're in transition. It is harder on us. Is my mic cutting out? Yeah. Pull it out of your pocket. Okay. Give all that stuff. Uh, so it... Being in transition and being in crisis or being in a health uh, 
challenge can cause decision fatigue to be worse. But what decision fatigue is caused by is having to make multiple hard decisions in a short period of time. So those of you who are in the Downsizers Club, um, you know, we talked about how you're going to be deciding first where you're going to live. If you're going to move, where are you going to move? That's a big decision, right? Well, so if you're trying to make that decision at the same time you're trying to decide what to take with you, at the same time you're trying to decide who to hire to move you, at the same time you're trying to decide if your kids are coming into town or not, etc., etc., and then we ask you to go through your closet <laughs> and decide which shoes you're going to take, and you look at us and go, Ugh. that's decision fatigue. It's too much. We can only make so many decisions at a time without just pooping out, right? That's a technical term. Write that down, pooping out, <laughs> okay? It, it's a thing. So we also, when we're, when we're moving into a smaller space, we're limiting the amount of effort required for non-essential tasks due to our physical or cognitive decline. So as we age and as our, our physical health goes down, not that it will, but if it does, then what happens is we stop focusing on things we used to focus on, like dusting or vacuuming every day or washing the sheets every Sunday at 2 o'clock. And we, that becomes less important than taking care of your physical needs, making sure your medications are taken care of, or making sure that you have your groceries, or that your meals are prepared, or that your spouse is being cared for. So there are, there are non-essentials that just kind of get set by the wayside. We had a couple that um, we helped move a few years back over to Concordia, and they had, uh, both of them were in their 90s. Uh, she had some pretty progressed dementia, and he was doing the best he could. He really was. But that house hadn't been dusted in probably 10 years. Because dusting was no longer important. They had other more important matters to deal with, right? Okay, it's just part of life. So as we begin to downsize, what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, I don't need this 2,500 square foot house anymore because this smaller space I can manage and I can still do those things in the smaller space that I couldn't do in this larger space and I can still feel good about my house. Um, we're also simplifying our lives, simplifying our lives. I, I laugh because people grieve over having to get rid of their stuff. And every time I clean out a closet and take a load of stuff to Goodwill, I go, yes! That's just that many fewer choices I have to make and that much less stuff I have to deal with, right? It's about having less is having more bandwidth. It's having more time. It's having more energy. It's having more. Really getting rid of stuff after you no longer really need it uh, should be a freeing experience. It shouldn't be an arduous experience. And then the last one is we're facing our mortality. I left that one for last. Because as you downsize into smaller spaces as we age, we are having to face our own mortality, aren't we? Right? Because last time I checked, you cannot take it with you when you go. Is that still true? <laughs> right. So uh, I have a a picture here that I'm going to show you. This couple uh, out at Spanish Cove, Mr. and Mrs. Ladd, Forrest and Jean Ladd, really neat, neat couple. Um, 92 years old, both of them. 
when we moved them last year. I think they both had birthdays. They just had their uh, wedding anniversary right after we moved them. Was 60 years? Is that right, Cindy? Probably, yeah. I think so, yeah. And uh, they had lived at Spanish Cove in an independent living apartment for 20 years. Sorry, 70 years. Yeah, for the 70-year anniversary, wedding anniversary. And uh, and they they are. She's big into genealogy. She uh, does massive works. They have like 42 or 45 books they've published on different family trees that they have and their genealogy. And then uh, he is a retired uh, SNU college professor. <coughs> Uh, and and uh, he he is uh, still actively involved in a lot of things. So they're both very very capable people. Um, but unfortunately, their bodies are given out of them. Right? Physically, their bodies can't keep up with their minds. Really, is the reality. And so they decided they made a decision uh, to move into assisted living there at Spanish Cove, which is a smaller space. So they had a three bedroom, two bathroom apartment and they with a kitchen a full kitchen and a little breakfast area and they moved into about a 650 square foot apartment uh, in assisted living with a very small little kitchen area like a kitchenette and that's their apartment that they're sitting in there that's our team behind them we just moved them that day the picture in the middle is a picture of his new workspace uh, we moved his office uh, reduced the size of it but moved it over to the assisted living the picture on the right is his recliner with her uh, office space behind it. So instead of a living room, like some of you might set up with all the fluff and pretty stuff, they set up an office because that's their life. That's what they do. They have a bedroom and they have an office. And in their office, they have two recliners. So well, I share this with you because here's what he said to me that day. When he looked around, he said, Nikki, he said, my life just keeps getting smaller. Isn't that interesting, right? So he had, they had a house, a big house and a career, and he had an office and all that, and then they downsized to Spanish Cove, and they moved his office into his new apartment there, uh, and then they moved into assisted living. And so our lives do get smaller. They may get smaller even if you don't downsize, right? How many people do you know who live in their one room at their house? towards the end, right, towards the end. They have a bedroom and a bathroom at their daughter's house or in their own home, and they have hospice coming in or whatever. We all are going to downsize whether we move or not. Can we be clear about that? We are all downsizing whether we move or not. So I want to show you something I created, and I don't know how accurate this is. It's definitely not the scale. It's definitely not a uh, something I could publish in anything. But it helped me wrap my head around the effort, the grief, and the hassle that goes into downsizing if you don't do it sooner than later. So the first, uh, the, the left-hand side is accumulation over time. So think of the line going up as uh, how much we're accumulating. Starting at birth, we talked about how we have zero items at birth. And then over time, if you go to the right, when you go to college, then you get married, if you do get married, and then you have middle age. Middle age is kind of when we max out our accumulation, right? Some people may accumulate a little more uh, after that or into retirement, but very few, very few, most people have maxed out their accumulation in that middle age range. Then you have empty nest. If you've had children, uh, and you launch those children, those of you who have, you have that empty nest period, right? 
And some people will make that time of their life a time to downsize somewhat. You get rid of your uh, the kids' stuff, right? You clean those bedrooms out, you clean those closets out, and send that with them. And maybe you uh, turn that into an office or a studio, or you do something different with that space. And that's great. In an ideal world, everybody would do that. But I will tell you, in my 30 years of real estate experience, I still have people who still have their children's rooms set up just like they were when they lived there, and their children are now 57 years old. <laughs> I, they do. And I, it's not a judgment. It's just reality. And if you, that's you, and I'm not calling you out, I'm just saying it makes it harder in the end if you haven't done that earlier. Okay, if they still have a high school letterman's jacket hanging in your closet, it needs to go, right? It needs to go. If the cheerleading outfit that your daughter wore when she was a senior in high school is in your closet, it needs to go. The biggest one I think I saw was they had 12 prom dresses because their daughter had gone to multiple, you know, prom and seasonal events and different, you know, holiday parties and whatnot. And they had all those dresses hanging in that closet. And she said, what am I going to do with these? I said, well, whose are they? Well, they're my daughter's. She lives in New York. I said, well, call her. Tell her that she either needs to come get them or you're going to ship them to her or they're going to the Dress for Success tomorrow. She goes, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's so hard about that, right? I'm thinking. But guys, do you think that woman had some emotional attachment to those dresses herself? Yes? Okay, so was she living in the past or in the present? She was living in the past, right? This wasn't about the daughter, right? The daughter probably didn't even remember those dresses were there. But what we do sometimes is we hang on to that stuff because we want to remember when our kids were in high school or when our kids were going through those things, okay? So then you've got the next downsize is after empty nest. I call that downsize one, downsize one. And that could be a lot of things to different people. That could be from a bigger house to a smaller house. It could be from a house to an apartment. It could be from a house to a senior living apartment or community. It could be a lot of things, right? Um, it could be a, a couple who uh, have a blended family, where they both had houses and they their spouses passed or they divorced and they remarried and they consolidated into one house. So in that period of time, where the yellow is, that is a great time to downsize, right? That's a great time to purge, to liquidate, to pass things along. And then there's the next downsize. Downsize number two is what I would look at as kind of like the lads. That's where you're moving into a, a location because you really need to, right? Healthcare, maybe, environment, whether it's uh, memory care or assisted living if you needed it or uh, something like that, long-term care. Or if you moved in with a family member, this would also qualify because you're moving into probably a mother-in-law suite or a bedroom in their home. So you'll notice that the length of that colored line up there, if person continues to have the accumulation they had at their peak and they don't downsize at the empty nest stage and they don't downsize at downsize number one or they don't have a downsize number one or two then at death you see the red line right the red line is everything has to be dealt with right 
that's when all of it's got to be dealt with. It's not optional anymore. And you're gone at that point, right? So who's dealing with it? Someone else. And if you have kids, then congratulations. They're going to be the ones dealing with it probably. If you don't, then it will be whoever is designated either by you or by the court. So a personal representative, right? Now, Chris and I actually, our kids are 29 now. We did our trust a few years ago. We designated a friend of ours as our personal representative as opposed to our kids. Um, primarily because, number one, we don't know that our kids uh, are equipped at this stage of life to be able to deal with the things that would need to be dealt with, but also because our friend uh, we trust and, and we leave her uh, our materials and she'll handle it. Um, but she lives in Austin. So guess what she would have to do in order to handle all this stuff? She'd have to come up here and do it, right? And so I would like to make that as easy on her as possible. And then as our kids age, we will probably shift some things around and make that their responsibility. But here's something interesting. Uh, I put on that side of their, uh, the level of grief, meaning real true grief. Like in other words, your feelings, right? The grief process and hassle. And I kind of group those together because for some people it's more grief, some people it'll be more hassle. And, but I said, you know, if you do it in the beginning and you do it all along the way, then it will be pretty minimal in the end. But if you don't, then what happens is it just accumulates. The grief and the hassle accumulate. So people who are moving into assisted living, long-term care, or memory care, and have never purged anything, ever, the amount of hassle and the amount of grief that they and their family go through is significant. And it happens in a very short period of time. And it's painful for us. I, I will tell you, my team, we agonize over it. We, we lose sleep uh, probably as much as the family does because we do everything in our power to try to make it easier, and you just can't make it easier. Right? It's a journey that people have to go through. And I can't, I can't turn back time and say, well, we should have done this back when you moved the first time. But if they didn't do it, they just didn't do it, right? So this is kind of your time to say, okay, what can I do to make it easier on myself or my spouse or significant other or my family if I plan to, to do so? I thought it was interesting as I was thinking about the psychology of letting go. People who have had a house fire, who lost their home to a tornado, a flood, or burglary. When that happens, when someone loses all of their personal belongings to one of these things, do they still survive? Do those people live through it? Is there some grief, you think? Yeah, has anybody here lost their house in a tornado and all of their possessions? I know we've had, thank you for sharing that. I, I can't even imagine. I've never been through that myself. Um, we were burglarized once, and they stole uh, a significant number of my mom's jewelry, uh, wedding rings, her class ring, a lot of memorabilia that I no longer have because it was stolen, um, along with some other things. But uh, it's painful. And it's, there's a grief period, 
right? There was a grieving period during that. I have friends who have lost everything they've owned in uh, tornadoes, and then and can you imagine the people who've lost all their things in a flood, right, and fire. So, but guess what? They start over, don't they? Right? They don't die after they lose all those things. They may be mad. They may be sad. But they get over it, right? They go through the grief process and they move on. And yet, we all have our household full of things and we're holding on to it, you know? It's like, you know, and if it, sometimes it'd almost be better if the tornado would just come knock it out. <laughs> I hate to say that. I mean, it's not, I'm not wishing that on anybody. And I'm just saying, sometimes people literally say to themselves, it would be easier if my house just burned out. Because then they won't have to decide Right? Does that make sense? And uh, they just don't have to decide. So um, these are some of the things that are hardest to get rid of. And this is where I want to open up a little conversation. Oh, let me come back to this slide. I did this yesterday. I want to share this with you. Uh, I, I try to practice what I preach, right? And so I always say to people, ask your kids what they want. Uh, should you pass? And uh, that way you know. Because there's things that you would have no idea that they want and then there are things that they would, vice versa, things you think they would want that they don't. So I sent this text to Caleb and Dakota, our kiddos, who are 29. He's in, he's here in Oklahoma City. He's not married, uh, never been married, no kids. My daughter is uh, our, our adopted daughter. We adopted her when she was eight. She's married. She has our three grandbabies. They live in Austin. So I sent this text. If you can't, if you can't read it, it says, uh, "Hi there. I have a question for you, and I need you to think about it." and then respond before midnight on Wednesday. I sent this on Tuesday. What, if anything, of mine or ours would be important enough to you that you would want it in the event Chris and or I died in the next 12 months? And why? What makes it important to you? Or why would you want it? It's not meant to be morbid and it's a serious question. I want your serious answer. Thanks, I love you. Okay? So yesterday, Wednesday, I get, first I get a phone call from Dakota, the daughter. She calls and says, so um, I, I'm thinking about your question, and is this a class you're teaching? <laughs> <laughs> she knows me. And I said, well, it is, but I said, you know, I try to practice what I preach, and so it's a serious question, and I would like for you to answer it. And she said, okay. And she said, well, so um, before I do, she said, so what about the condo? I said, what about the condo? And she said, well, the condo, like, we could rent it out, right? And we could have an income from it. I said, yeah, well, so, yes. And I kind of, what I had in mind was what's in the condo, not, like, the condo. <laughs> and then I thought, this is a great teachable moment, right? And I said, honey, I said, first of all, we still owe some money on the condo. It'll be paid off in the next few years, but not in the next 12 months. So if we should pass, the condo would either need to be sold or you or Caleb would need to be able to purchase it from the bank because there's a mortgage, right? And so normally what happens is the condo, being a big ticket item, would be sold and how much ever there was left after the mortgage, you and Caleb would split and then you could go buy whatever you wanted to with that. She goes, oh, okay. So same thing with the boat. She goes, okay. So I said, so focus on stuff, okay? Just for purposes of this exercise, so noted, you would like the condo, but let's focus on stuff. So, I get this text from her a little bit later, uh, yesterday. We would love to have access 
I'm oh, sorry, would love to have access to your phone storage, iCloud, for pictures of you both and the kids. Would like to share your memories with the kids. That's her why. <laughs> Mom, I would love to have your perfume bottle to remember your smell. It reminds me of you. I'm about to cry. Both of your couches. I always really like them and would like to have them in our home. Recipes you have of meals you made when we come to your house. First of all, I don't cook. So these would be Chris's recipes. It will help me remember the great times of all of us around the table. Now that's not a lot of stuff, right? Okay, so I said absolutely. Let me know if you think of anything else. I love you. Okay, so here's Caleb's. Caleb. I had to remind him last night that the deadline was midnight, so he texted me at 10 something. I was just putting a lot of thought into it, he said. Pictures of your side of the family, your wedding ring, your favorite thing, aside from your children, your favorite <laughs> item. Pictures of you and Chris before and after marriage, your condo, that condo is a uh, hot item, evidently, and phase one, which happens to be our boat down at 10 Killer. And then he followed that up with the why he would want those things. So he would want the, uh, the pictures to show pictures to his future children, the ring for his future daughter, the pictures of you and Chris to remember you by, your condo because, well, let's be honest, I love it, and your boat, see above, and for the grandchildren. He knows how to pull on my heartstrings, right? For the grandchildren. The boat is for the grandchildren that he doesn't have yet. Okay, so I did that, you guys, and, and it, there was a lot of learning from that for me. But what I recall as I, uh, as I read that from Dakota especially about the perfume bottle, when I used to travel a lot, uh, she was in high school, and I would come home and she would have taken my fleece, my, especially my red fleece pullover, and worn it and then put it in her closet, and I couldn't find it. And I, it happened a couple of different times. I got really angry with her, because if you're gonna borrow my things, put them back, right? That's just the way we do it. And so we had this big brouhaha over that silly fleece. And I had a coaching call with my coach, and it became evident in talking this through that while I was gone and she missed me, she wore that fleece because of the smell. Yeah, it was her way of having me with her when I was on trips. I had no idea. I felt terrible because I yelled at her, <laughs> right? But my daughter's very kinesthetic. She's very touchy-feely. So the things that are going to be important to her are those things, right? I did not realize my son would be so sentimental that he would want pictures of Chris and I. Chris is his stepdad. Isn't that interesting? Right? So we learn a lot when we ask the question. So let's have a conversation as a group about these items. These are the top items that I came up with that people struggle with uh, letting go of. Pianos, books, Bibles, photos, vacation albums, clothing, shoes, tools, large appliances. I know that sounds weird, but it's a thing. China, silver, antique furniture, gifts, handmade items, christening gowns and things similar to that, religious like um, uh, rites of passage, things that represent that, coffee mugs, 
What else? Anybody struggling to let go of something that's not on that list? No? That cover up? Collection. Collection. Collections? Yeah. Okay. My granddaughter's artwork says so she's going to be becoming an artist. Granddaughter's artwork that she's already created mm -hmm. because she's becoming an artist. Okay, it sounds like she already is an artist. <laughs> she's going to become a professional artist, right? Exactly. Okay, yeah. Okay, so those are things that, all of those things, right, that are, they're important to us. So what we want to do today, and I'm going to leave you with some homework. It, it, by the way, let me, let me point out one thing with the large appliances thing. Why do you think that's a thing? Refrigerators, freezers, um, because people people have a tendency when they downsize, they think that their lifestyle is going to be the same. And so, if, if let's say I, I came across this yesterday with somebody uh, who has a freezer that they want to keep, and so what happens is we kind of go, okay, this is how I live now, and we want to maintain that. Right, we want to maintain that, and this isn't the first time I've heard this. Uh, people want to take the refrigerators from their uh, garages. They want to take big grills, even though they haven't grilled in years. But it's a perception of what I think I may need because we don't know, right? We don't know what this next phase is going to look like, and so therefore we're going to hold on to certain things without knowing. And this is fine, and people can do that if you have the space. But I will tell you that most of the time. I usually recommend to people to give it six months or so before they uh, move those kind of things because most of the time they, they wish they hadn't done it. Most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. Um, coffee mugs. Why do you think coffee mugs are a thing? Huh? You wouldn't take a coffee mug? Because you don't drink coffee, but if you do... Memories. Most of the time they are a collection from a trip or they have world's greatest dad or grandma or something on it, right? So coffee mugs are hard to let go of. It's also sometimes it belongs to the significant other. And so the significant other used that coffee mug and letting go of it is letting go of a part of that relationship, okay? So every one of these, there's a reason behind it. And if you have to do it fast, you will err on the side of keeping it rather than letting it go. If you have to make a decision fast, you will keep it all and, and say, I'll go through it later. But if you have time, then what we're going to do is this exercise that I gave you. So pull that little uh, worksheet out. This is the scripture I found that I thought was pertinent to today. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, I kind of like to have a few more things than food and clothing for a while. And some shelter. And some shelter, right? Okay. So, on your little worksheet, this is kind of what I want you to work through. On the front page, items that I am now or anticipate struggling to let go of. So whatever it is that you're struggling to let go of. And everybody should have one of these of their own. Do not share these with a 
partner or spouse or adult child, everyone should have their own sheet. And if you need an extra, let me know. Rate the items on a scale from 1 to 10. 1 being, ah, it's a minor struggle. To 10, this is a major struggle. 5, eh, maybe I could take it or leave it, but a 10 is a major struggle. So go through your kitchen and make a list of anything that comes up for you. Same way with your dining room, living room, your bedrooms, an office or study, closets, garage, attic if you have a basement, a shed or any outbuildings or storage or any other areas that I haven't listed. Just make a list. Be honest with yourself. This isn't, a, uh, this isn't meant for you to, to judge yourself as much as be, be observant. Okay, just be observant. Um, uh, if, I were, if I were in my bedroom and this were lying on my uh, dresser, I would list Mom's Bible. Okay? Now, I could easily go back and say, I'm really not struggling whether or not I'm going to let that go. I have made a decision. Right? The decision is I'm keeping it. It really wouldn't even need to go on the list. Right? Does that make sense? Because I've made that decision. So the list is really designed for things that you're having to decide about piece of furniture, maybe you've got a whole closet full of clothes, and women in the room, you've got size 8, 10, and 12s. <laughs> or 10s, 12s, and 14s. Because you never know. And so if you're right now a size 8 and you have all these 10s and 12s, you have to decide, right? Am I going to let these go or am I going to keep them? Okay? So that's, that's what I'm talking about. Then you go down to the bottom of this, and it says, things I anticipate I will miss most about my current home or residence. If you were to move. Not that you're going to move, but if you were to move. What will I anticipate missing most about my current home or residence? Write those down. I only gave you three lines there. You may have more, and that's fine. You can add to it. But I figure most people have at least three. Okay. It might be the view out your back window, it might be the patio in the morning, it might be your living area, it could be the kitchen you remodeled, it could be anything. Um, but write that down. You have another hundred pages. Another hundred pages? Okay. Photocopiers work great for this. Okay. And I, and I, I know you're saying that not in jest because you may have an extensive list, and I'm going to get to that in a second because it's important to, to note. If your list is extensive, you need to start sooner than later. Because I'm going to tell you guys that everyone downsizes. Everyone. Whether you move or not. You can't tell me that, that they don't because at some point, you go from living wherever you are to a casket. That is called downsizing, whether you like it or not. Okay, so not to be morbid, but that's the truth. Okay, so write down on the back, in the back, so you take the list from your front, and the back says, write down what these items represented to others, what meaning do they hold for you, and where does that meaning originate? Now, you're going to need another piece of paper. You don't have room to write all that down here. But I didn't have, you know, a book to give you. I just have a handout to give you. So 
you're going to make a note on some notebook paper about this. So as an example, if you have Grandma's China, and that's on your list on the front, and you've rated it like a 7 or 8, then you're going to write out what it means to you. This is an example of what you might write. Grandma's China represents holiday family gatherings that were special. They represented special occasions and family coming together and originated when I was in grade school. It makes me think of my grandma, my mom, and my great aunts who always helped prepare the meals. You're going to write that out. Something, whatever it means to you. Then you're going to write out when you think about letting go of the items on the front page, what feelings come to the surface? Now, men in the room, we, you like to think you don't have feelings, but you do. So just write them down. Some of you are more than happy to admit you have feelings, but those of you who say, oh, I don't have feelings about Grandma's China, I bet you have some feelings about those things in the garage. Okay? What are the feelings that come to the surface when you think about letting them go? This is important. This is what they don't tell you in all the other books that are out there on the bookshelves. Are you ready? Unless you get really clear about the feeling, then you squash it. And when you squash it, you don't make decisions. You just don't. So, if it makes you angry, in fact it just pisses you off that you have to get rid of XYZ, then write it down. If it makes you sad and tearful, write it down. If it depresses the heck out of you and you can't sleep because of it, write it down. Those feelings are what's going to release you from the connection to the item. You guys get that. Every connection we have with an item, unless it's utilitarian, if it's emotional or legacy connected, especially like we talked about earlier on that list, then you have, to, you have to get in touch with the feeling. So when I think about letting go of my grandma's china, I feel guilty, a little sad, and very nostalgic. Okay, Sit with that feeling. Sit with it. It's okay to feel it. If you were to have a conversation with the item, this is the third thing you're going to do with that item. If you were to have a conversation with the item, yes, I realize it does not talk back. It's okay or the giver or the maker of the item, what would you say to it or them as you let it go? So the china. Hello, china dishes. I'm really, I've really enjoyed my time with you as a kid. Now I use dishes that I can put in the dishwasher. This gives me more time with the grandkids. Ma, I know that you love these dishes, but I also know that you would understand that I no longer need them. I sure miss you and the amazing meals that you served on them. Okay, that's just an example. Use your heart, write from your heart. You can actually have the conversation. You don't have to write it, you can just say it. The last thing is if you're dealing with a home and you're going to be leaving the home, have a conversation with your home or the rooms or spaces in the home and tell it how much it meant to you and what you've missed as you move on to the next chapter of your life. So for instance, hello picture window. I sure will miss the view of my birds outside of you each morning. I sure hope the new owners will love it as much as I did. I won't miss cleaning you, but I'll miss the views you have shared with me, right? So have a conversation with the things that you have because you are already doing it. Unconsciously, you're already doing it. So just 
do it outright, right? Uh, I have conversations with my mom regularly. She's been gone over 40 years. I have conversations with her regularly um, about the things, you know. But thanks, Mom, for leaving this for me, right? I, it's pretty cool that you studied the Bible and that you left me with some nuggets about which verses were special to you, right? She hears me. She didn't have to speak back, right? It's fine. So I had a woman, I'll tell you a quick story, and I'm going to answer any questions you have or comments that you want to make. One second, last story. Her name was Jan, and she moved out of state, and she was leaving a house that her husband had passed away, uh, she and he had had together. And she was really struggling with letting that house go. Matter of fact, we could not, we could not figure out why we could not get an offer on that house. Now, this was a while back, so the market was not like it is now. But it was still a good market, and the house was priced well, and it was a beautiful house, and we were not getting an offer, and I could not, for the life of me, figure it out. And I'm visiting with her one day, and she says, I just don't think I can let go of this house. And I said, really? Tell me what you mean by that, because it's on the market, right? And she says, well, I just don't think I can do it. I just, I miss him too much. And this is his house, too. And I said, wow, I said, we need to have a conversation with him. And she said, you know he's dead, right? <laughs> yes, I do. And we still need to have a conversation. I said, if he were here with us today, where would he be sitting? And there was a chair in the, in the living room that was his chair. It was a leather chair set over by the fireplace. She said, that's where he would be sitting if we were here today having this conversation. I said, great, let's put him there. Let's make him be there. Okay, he's there. I said, let's talk with him about letting go of the house. Tell him what you just told me. So she did. She played along. We had a conversation with her husband. She cried. I cried. He may have cried. I don't know. <laughs> but at the end of the conversation, I said, are you going to be able to let go of the house? And she said, now I think I can. I think he wants me to. And I said, okay. So is there anything else we need to let go of? No? Guess what? Got an offer on that house. Fairly quickly, right after that. There is an energetic connection that we have, right? She was telling the universe, I don't want it all. I don't want to buy her. I don't want an offer. I don't want somebody to buy this house because I'm not ready. And so guess what? No buyers, no offers. But when she was ready and to let it go, she was able to let it go. And it was fine. Now, it was still emotional. Don't get me wrong. Like, we didn't do cartwheels. But she was able to do it. And, it, and it, it meant something to her to have that conversation with him because she felt guilty. She felt really, really guilty for selling that house that he had worked really hard on. And until she admitted that and got permission from him and got released from that guilt... She couldn't really move on. Okay, so comments, questions, thoughts, uh, resources. Yes, ma'am. One of the other presentations from the past that we've been at talked about not downsizing a lot of your stuff so that you can have a better estate That's right. sale. Yep. That's the opposite. So how do you yeah. go between those two things? Yeah, so it's, it's a catch-22, really. And so here's the difference. Um, you can still hang on to that stuff and plan for having an estate sale, right? 
You don't have to start purging it, but you have to let it go mentally, right? So what happens is people go, well, I'm going to hang on to it because I'm going to have a mistake so in two or three years when I move, right? But they don't do any of this mental work we're talking about. And so what happens is we go to sell it, and they're like, oh, they're like holding on to it, right? Because they didn't do any of the mental work. So you can go about it one of two ways. You can go ahead and ahead of time say to yourself, I'm going to forego the money part. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to worry about the money that I would get from doing a sale. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make it easy on myself, and I'm going to begin to liquidate things now, and whatever's left, I'm going to donate it. Okay? It's a personal choice. Or you can say, I'm going to hang on to everything. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to sell it later. But you've got to do the mental work. And that way, when it does come time to sell it, if you're attached to it, not everybody is, by the way. Don't please understand. I'm not assuming everybody's attached to their stuff. But enough people are that this is necessary. Okay? So if you're attached to some stuff, like an antique bed that was your mom's, or an armoire that somebody gave you that's important, or something that your dad made, then you need to deal with that on an emotional level so that when it comes time and you say, Nikki, we're moving and it's a smaller space and I say, what are we going to do with what's left? You can say, you know what? I'm okay with that. Right? We're going to move on. And all we have to do is decide what you're going to keep. And it makes it so much easier. But if you wait to do that after you say, I'm going to move or after it's necessary that you move, then... We just have we have a huge hurdle and lots of lots of decision fatigue and lots of them have to be made when we're older and right. not to it. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you're right. I, it's a personal decision. We're going to do a sale, or we're not going to do a sale. We're going to make a decision that the money's not as important as being prepared ahead of time and alleviating some of that hassle. Yeah. Okay. What else? Comments, questions, thoughts. Yes, sir. Covered the philosophy behind a lot of this stuff. So when are we going to get down to the nuts and bolts? Next month. The, the name, the address, the telephone number, and the person I can call to get rid of all this stuff. Because you've got a million stuff, things that people aren't going to want. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. In other words, a China set from yeah. the 1800s isn't probably worth anything. Right. But I'm not going to throw it in the trash. I want to give it to somebody for free. Okay. So So remember that today was about the theory. So I, I was very clear about that. What? Oh, sorry. For the people at home, his, his comment was, when are we going to get to the how-to part, the solution to how do we get rid of it? And I'm going to just, I, I'm making no apologies about today. Today was specifically getting you thinking about it. Next month, we're going to talk about how to do it. I'm going to give you one thing, just because I want to make sure that I answer the question, and this is it, is that there is no one phone number to call to have them come out and do this. It's not as simple as that. If you think it's as simple as that, guess what? It'd already be done, right? It's not. And so yeah, my, my thing was, I'm just going to use China as an example. If you want to get rid of your China tomorrow and be done with it, load it up in a box, put it in your car, drive to Goodwill, and drop it off. And don't look back. Because that's the value of it unless it's a uber, uber, uber collectible 
that everybody wants. And I don't know what those are. I have people who do. But most of us don't have that. The average human being has a set of china that is going to be worth about $25 when it's done. Okay? So I'm saying this to you in, in all earnest, and that is if you're not emotionally attached to it anymore and you want to get rid of it, just take it to Goodwill or whichever charitable donation site you want to choose. This isn't rocket science. And if you did that every day for the next year, guess what? Your house would be pretty cleaned out. Right? So next month, we're going to talk about all of the each one of the tasks and what the very specific items are. And then the third month, we're going to talk about the estate sale process, if you want to learn about that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> You've been moving stuff for six years and it's still six, full of six stuff. Years. Six years. And it's still full of stuff. Sack full by sack full. Sack full by sack. Into the garbage. Into the garbage. Yeah. A lot of people have. And, and I'll tell you, here's the thing, guys, is uh, we've, we've all got too much stuff, right? All of us have more stuff than we need over time, right? And the problem is that we, you know, people used to spring clean, and when they spring clean, they cleaned out closets and they purged. And instead, what our world, what the Western world has done, is we just buy bigger houses with extra car garages and basements and attics. And now we have this proliferation of storage buildings all over the world, and people are renting those. And that's a mistake. It's a mistake. And what's pro the problem is we're going to have a glut, and we already do have a glut. So next week, we're going to deal with all of those things, okay? All right. So last but not least, uh, next month, we're going to go through the Downsizing Made Easy method. That is what he's saying, the nuts and bolts, the how-to part. But please don't come back next month for that without doing the homework from this month. Are you guys clear? Right? You really have to do that. Then we'll deal with the liquidation piece. Uh, we're doing a spring shredding day on the 22nd. If you have cleaned out some closets and you have some old taxes or old personal information that you want to get rid of safely, bring it on the 22nd uh, to the office where we have there. The address is uh, by Mercy Hospital on the west side of Meridian. And you don't have to take paper clips off. You don't have to take staples out. You can bring them in folders. You can bring them in boxes or bags or whatever. And they'll put them in the in the container, they'll hook them to the truck, the truck will take them up and they'll shred it right there on site and you can take your boxes back with you if you want um, and so bring as much as you want, there's no limit, the, the truck is big, we have it for uh, two hours and so just come by and, and do that. Where are we? Uh, yes sir. Will they shred the boxes too? If you want to? uh, do they shred the boxes Chris? They don't shred the boxes with the haul off. They don't shred them, but if you want to leave them, the truck, the guy with the truck will take the boxes on your behalf. Yeah. Thank you. 4513 Memorial Circle. 4513. And Shannon has uh, this first table right here. I think we have some flyers on it as well. But uh, you'll see the truck. And we'll have, we'll have truth series like the signs we put out for today, the purple signs. Those will be directing you to the truck for that day. Uh, then we have the Downsizers Club. Those of you who are thinking you are going to downsize in the next, you know, two to five years or whatever, and you want to really get 
down to the nitty gritty of it. Welcome to join us. Some of the other folks that have joined already, we meet monthly and we go over really specific information, um, among other things. And then the gift, I want to remind everybody, if you're needing to do some planning and you really feel like you want to leave someone with an operations manual in the event that you need them to help you care for your personal affairs, then this is a program that the Villages offers and they're doing a series of in-person meetings as well as online. I'm doing one on Zoom starting uh, April 24th on Saturdays, but they do them here locally. Uh, all of our sponsors are involved in it as well. So feel free to talk with Marilyn back there about that. And then um, that's all I got for you. So did you guys get value for today? Yes, we'll see you next month. All right. Have a blessed afternoon. I'll be hanging around as will our sponsors. Jim will take your evaluations back there with the purple shirt on.